0: The following podcast is an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Rochester, Minnesota. You can find out more by visiting harvestrochester.org. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to camp out there this morning as we look at another instruction for the church, specifically this morning, communion. Instructions uh, can be a really helpful thing, Um, but guys are notorious for uh, not following instructions, right? And uh, I, I never really got that. I'm the guy who loves uh, figuring things out. So if I don't know something, I'm kind of like the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type guy. That's kind of my MO a little bit. I love to know a little about a lot. And so if I don't know something, I'm going to go Google that thing to death until I find a blog post or a YouTube video that gives me instructions on how to do it. And uh, so I never really got the whole stereotype of guys don't follow instructions until I got married. Um, And uh, just one example of that is since I've been married about three plus years now, I have built more Ikea furniture than I could count, right? And the thing about Ikea furniture is if you've built one piece of Ikea furniture, you have built every piece of Ikea furniture. It's all the same. And uh, this table right here is actually from Ikea, and I'm sure there's four screws holding it together that uh, you wound in with a little tiny Allen wrench that all came, and everything was pre-drilled, and the legs were already cut, and you just... Everything just came together real nice. Um, And uh, if uh, my buddy Phil here came up and... uh Decided he wanted to just snap the legs off this table, which I'm sure he could, because Phil's a, a strong dude. But uh, if he did that, I would be a little put off. I would, hey, let's get some coffee this week. Things are obviously going on in your life, but I wouldn't be like upset about the table, right? Because I could drive up to the cities and literally buy a thousand exactly like it for twenty dollars. So I w- wasn't really that invested in that table. But let's say I'd built that table from scratch, be a little bit different. And the instructions would look a little bit different too. This past summer. Uh, We bought our first house last year and uh, have lived in it a little over a year now. And uh, when we first moved in, we didn't have much furniture to our name, a newly married couple. And um, so I decided I wanted to build a, a farmhouse dining table for my family. Um, because, one, I just dropped a down payment, and the price tag on most dining room tables was a little steeper than I was willing to pay. But also, it just sounded like a cool idea. And like I said, I like to know a little about a lot, so it sounded like a good opportunity. So I Googled it and found, build a farmhouse table for $64, right? And those are always awesome, because then you get into it, and it's like, yeah, we had we just had all this reclaimed barn wood laying around, and my husband's chip gains, and so we just put it <laughs> together, right? Like, it's never actually successful. Sixty-four dollars. It's just, but I was, okay, I'm gonna do it. So I printed out my little list and I go into the lumber yard and I start loading up my cart with wood and screws and glue and jigs and all these things. And I come home and I set up shop in my garage and here we go and first instruction, right? Okay, here we go, first instruction. Lay out all your supplies. I'm like, that's a whole step? Like, okay, we had like half the table built if it was an Ikea table. Like, what's going on here? So I like just skip up to, you know, one... Uh, instruction 23 of like 185 or something. It was like ridiculous. But so I'm just like, oh, let's see where we're at. And then I skipped to that. And it still doesn't look like a table. And there's all these holes and these pieces of wood. And I'm like, OK, this is a little more involved. I thought I was a boss who could build Swedish furniture really fast. But obviously, I'm out of my league here. But I was bound and determined. So what I thought was going to be a couple day project turned into a couple weeks. And uh, But I did finish it. Here's a picture of it. Just kidding. There it is yeah, right, come on, thank you, right, guys, this table is so imperfect, okay, you throw an Instagram filter on, it looks awesome, but, uh, like, you get up close to it, I mean, there's gaps in the plank where my son's food gets caught all the time, and if you look underneath it, like, it's just a mess under there, like, things aren't cut the same, and I'm pretty sure I had to, like, get another leg at some point, because I cut one too short, and (laughs) It was quite the project, but I was invested in those instructions, man. Much more than the IKEA instruction. I'm just flipping through. Okay, yep, 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 got it. Okay. I was in those instructions. I was reading every word back, and I was back again, reading it again, going double-checking everything because I wanted to see the end result. I wanted to get to that table where my family could sit around it, where people could come over and sit at it, and that it would be this uh, you know, symbol of unity in my house. And if, you know, Phil broke the legs off that, I'd be a a lot more upset, right? I spent a lot more time with those instructions. I applied them to my life because I wanted to see the result. And I kept thinking of that as I prepared to talk to you this morning about instructions. But now I want to talk about another table. I want to talk about uh, the Lord's table, the table of communion. Uh, Maybe you've heard it as the table of presence or even the altar. But this table is already built, Fortunately, we don't have to build anything today, but we can find some great instruction on how to approach this table in the correct way. So I want to answer this question. How do we take communion? All right, ready for some instructions? If you're ready, say ready. Uh, Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, It is not for the better, but for the worse." So not a great start to the instructions, okay? Uh, A little bit of a rebuke right off the bat here, but a little context as we've just jumped into 1 Corinthians 11 here. Um, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and in the previous verses of chapter 11, he has commended them, he has congratulated them on some things, he's kind of given some clarity to cultural things going on and said, hey, good job, you're doing well, you're following the Lord, but then as he shifts gears over to communion, he has to say, hey guys, you're failing, you're missing. In the Mark, here's why, let me give you some instructions as to why you're failing. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. The Corinthians were becoming known not for their love for one another, but rather for their divisions and the cliques that were happening in the church and Paul is saying, hey, some of this is natural, okay? There's going to be a hierarchy. There's going to be divisions, if you will, factions in the church just naturally because we have a pastor and we have elders and we have deacons and we have small group leaders and we have people who believe in Jesus Christ. and." Uh, People who don't believe in Christ, if you're here today, and you kind of are just checking it out, and you think that maybe this could be something, but you don't know, or somebody just nagged you enough that you finally came to church with them, we want you to know, like, we're glad that you're here, but we pray that you would sense something different in the other people around you, that you would sense that there is a difference, a division, not in a divisive way, but in a way that is just natural, to know that, those who believe in Christ is different. So Paul is saying this is going to happen. There's going to be genuine believers and those who don't really believe. But you've taken it, church, to a whole other level. You have now made it about social status, and it's a popularity contest, and there's these cliques of people. And at the center of that was the Lord's table, was the table of communion. Back in verse 20 here. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Everybody say, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Okay, let's break this down quick. Paul's getting kind of fired up at him, but he's, uh, imagine this with me. If we were going to take communion this morning at harvest and you came down and you got in line and uh, you're getting ready in your table, you're going to get the little cracker and the little hamster-sized cup of juice and uh, you're kind of there and you look over and you see another table and there's like a smaller crowd around that one. So you're like, oh, I'll jump in that line. As you get closer you notice that it's like a fully catered meal with drinks and appetizers, and these people are just having a great old time, eating away at it, and you're like, okay, well, I think I know which table I'm going to today, and you start to make your way over there, and someone stops you, and in the most snobbish way, it's like, no, 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 this is for harvest elites only, okay, you would like Okay, see ya. And like walk out of the church and never come back, right? I mean, nobody wants to be a part of a community like that. But that's kind of what's happening at this church in Corinth. The rich people in the church are bringing all this food, this lavish food, rich uh, food and expensive wine. And they're like plopping it around the Lord's table. And they're just like, let's feast in the name of the Lord and getting drunk in church. And then people are coming like who don't have money to contribute to that and like want to do communion but can't and partake in fellowship with these guys. And they're kind of being excluded from that. And they're going away hungry. That's ridiculous, right? Everybody say ridiculous. Ridiculous, okay? So Paul's saying, hey, you can't do this. You're not thinking about the Lord's Supper correctly. You think it's just another meal that you get to show off how much money you make, and you're in the wrong attitude. You're in the wrong mindset. You're not thinking about what is happening here, and that's a good lesson for us this morning as we look at how do we take communion. We have to take it thoughtfully, You have to think about what we're doing. Our mind has to be in the right place. It can't be centered on the food itself. See, there is a reason the bread and the cup are so small. This is not meant to have any type of physical nourishment for you. We're not coming into church hungry, stomachs grumbling, going, man, I just got to hold on to communion. Because if you do that, you're going to be really disappointed by the portion sizes, okay? That's not the point. And really, it's supposed to be almost leaving you lacking from any type of nourishment, like any type of satisfaction, because our mind should be a thousand miles away from eating and drinking. We've done it a lot of different ways, right? I mean, you got bread, you got crackers, you got wafers that taste like packing peanuts. You know, Now we got a, we got a gluten-free option. Pretty soon we're just going to go, hey, take a deep breath and think about bread. You know? <laughs> just kidding. If you, if you have a gluten allergy, I totally get that. But I'm just saying, if you take gluten-free communion and then you're eating a bagel in Harvest Kids Volunteer Lounge, we're going to have words, man, okay? <laughs> gluten-free communion. This is not about physical nourishment. In fact... Our minds should be so fixated on Christ that we're not even thinking about food. We have to think rightly about the Lord's table, table, about the Lord's Supper. So here are three things that the table is not. Just write these down somewhere. Three things the Lord's table is not. Number one, it's not a buffet table. It's not a buffet table. It's not you jumping in line with people and kind of just like, hey, let me eat as much as I can. And then I'm on and I forget about it. I'm not even thinking about the food I'm putting in my mouth, right? Here's a picture of a buffet with like I love it a lot. Eat as much as you like at the top of the buffet, right? That's not communion. We're right? just coming through and just rom nom nom. Okay, on to my next thing. Not even caring about what I'm putting in my mouth right now. I'm just gonna get it done. We can't do it like that. There's no spiritual extra credit for pounding a bunch of thimbles of juice, okay? Like you're not getting anything there. Number two, it's not a coffee table. It's not a coffee table. This is not where you place all the stuff that you never really use, but you want people to know that you have, right? The, you know, hey, I see you have a copy of Mere Christianity. Are you reading that right now? Like, no, I got that in college. I never finished it. Sits next to this Yankee candle I've never lit and a <laughs> knick-knack from our wedding that Grandma Ethel gave us that I hope she sees when she comes over. It's not the kind of showcase. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm taking communion right now. Here's the bread. Here's the cup. I'm taking. Oh, yeah. Look. Okay. And then 30 seconds after you consume the elements, it has no meaning to your life. It's not useful to you at all. And then number three, it's not a folding table. It's not a folding table. I think everybody in the world has a set like this somewhere in their house, right? The holidays are coming up and uh, you're pulling out of a closet or a back room somewhere because it's your turn to host Thanksgiving and you need a place for the nieces and nephews to sit. And there's probably a rip on it and crayon underneath it. And really, you just pull it out for this one occasion and then it goes right back in its place and it kind of is out of your life. That's not the communion table. Hey, it's Christmas. I would better go to church and take communion. It's Easter, I'm pulling it out. Here it is, oh, communion, okay, back in the closet. We can't approach communion that way. Rather, we need to think of the table as a symbol of the altar where the ultimate sacrifice was made. It's a representation of the table where Jesus sat with his disciples and gave them a tangible way to remember what was about to happen to him. Look with me at verse 23. Paul is referencing back to the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified, where he's sitting with his disciples eating the Passover meal, and the the Passover was the most significant Jewish holiday. You can go read Exodus 12, 21 through 27 to kind of see what the Passover really meant for them, that this was a big deal for them, and there's no coincidence that Jesus is instituting this ordinance of communion on this night in this way he's kind of completing this as the Passover meal became the last supper for Jesus, it becomes the Lord's Supper for us. When we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the death of Jesus on our behalf and the salvation he offers and guarantees because of it. That's the symbolism of the bread and the cup. So we must take communion symbolically. That's number two, take it symbolically needs to be a symbol of what Jesus has done. However, some religions uh, teach otherwise, that they're not symbolic, that Christ's body and blood are actually present in the bread and the cup. For instance, Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy teach that the bread actually turns into the body of Jesus while retaining the outward visible characteristics of bread. And the wine actually turns into the blood of Jesus while retaining the outward characteristics of wine, like taste and appearance. This is called transubstantiation. It's a really big word for physical change. Meanwhile, others, like the Lutherans, would say, no, the elements don't turn into Jesus, but his flesh and his blood are right there alongside them with the bread and the wine, or in the loaf and the cup. It's what they call consubstantiation, referring to a physical coexistence. And if then, as if that wasn't enough, there's the instrumental perspective supported by many Presbyterians and some Reformed traditions that the presence of Jesus in the bread and cup is real, but it's not physical. Rather, it's a spiritual presence, and that by eating and drinking his spiritual presence, literally we are united with him in heaven in that moment. All of these are called sacramental views of communion. Well, the participants receive God's grace and blessing through the actual acts of eating and drinking. That's what a sacrament means, a physical act that God uses to convey his grace. And they're required in order to receive some aspect of God's grace or God's salvation, which is where we start to run into a problem. Because that makes the act or the ritual, the work, something you do to earn or gain or keep God's favor. Something external that you do to get saved or stay saved, none of which are biblical. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says that we are saved for good works, but not by good works. Titus 3, 5 says that God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of our acts or rituals, even if they're done with the best of intentions, but according to his own mercy. And Romans three twenty eight says that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So the whole idea of sacraments is unbiblical, including in regards to the Lord's Supper. So we have to understand that as we're thinking about communion, as we're taking it thoughtfully, we must also take it symbolically and not literally. There is no magic in taking communion. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but the grape juice, we got it at Costco right we didn't fly that in from jerusalem okay the bread isn't from israel maybe the gluten free is it's a little bit holier right just kidding <laughs> it's all a symbol it's all a symbol for what christ has already done for us back in 1 corinthians verse 25 In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Again, just referencing to the symbol of what he was doing there, that his blood was poured out for us, a symbol in the cup of wine or juice. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word often sticks out to me um, in those... couple of verses, and I'm going to use the word regularly in conjunction with it. We need to take communion regularly. See, we do not have a prescribed schedule of when to do communion from the Bible. It doesn't ever tell us, huh, here's how many times to do it in a month, right? We've been doing communion for like the last six weeks at Harvest every week, but in the life of our church, we probably average like every four to five weeks Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it once a month. Some churches do it a couple times a year. And there's really no biblical basis for when to do it other than often, regularly. We've been preaching in Acts, and we see that the apostles devote themselves to the breaking of bread in homes every day. So we need to do it regularly. We need to do it often, often because I need to be reminded again of the gospel we forget so quickly, don't we, of God's mercy and his grace, but the table, the table brings us back in. The table centers us back, fixes us on Christ to see where we fall short and where Jesus fills and overflows that gap regularly because I want to proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus to others. Man, I want, I want people to know That there is a God who loves them enough to send his son to die in their place for their sins, storm the gates of hell, rip the key out of Satan's hand, raise back to life, ascend into heaven, stand at the right hand of the Father and who is coming back for us soon. Amen? Amen. That's worth proclaiming, church, so we need to do it often. We need to proclaim it often, regularly. Every week? Sure. Once a month? Yes. Just take it regularly. Not so often that it becomes a meaningless ritual, but often enough that the purpose behind it is at the forefront of our minds. We must take communion thoughtfully, symbolically, and regularly. This last one, and honestly the one I pray we all take to heart this morning, is that we must take it seriously. Read with me in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. how we approach and participate in communion matters a lot. So much so that God has given us very clearly um, uh, several ways and warnings of how we can participate in an unworthy manner. Look back at verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, as in assess the purity of your heart, measure the godliness of your conduct and life, And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment, punishment, or discipline on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, if we honestly evaluated our lives for sin, repenting and committing to turn from it, we would not be judged. We would not be punished. We wouldn't suffer the consequences. Unworthy participation is a problem. Participating in a way that your heart and life do not match up with the holiness of the act. Here are three ways we can participate in an unworthy manner. I'm just gonna give these to you. You can write them down. First one is with unforgiveness in our hearts. The Lord's Supper is a time where we focus intensely on the sacrifice of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. If there is a situation in your life that is unresolved, if there's bitterness towards a specific person that you have not forgiven or have let bitterness towards them go unvoiced in some way, you can sit and hold the bread and cup of communion, symbols of the ultimate sacrifice for your forgiveness then you are participating in an unworthy manner. And there's, there's no excuse for this. I wish there was. I wish there was a gray area here, but you need to either let the elements pass or better yet, get up out of your seat, go and find that person and seek forgiveness or give them forgiveness. Call them on the phone. Matthew five twenty three through 24 gives us a great example of that, of leaving your gift at the altar and going and resolving any issues with someone else. In Matthew 6.15, clearly says that if we do not forgive others, God cannot forgive us. Meaning that if we have not forgiven someone for some earthly temporary grievance, how can we truly understand that we are forgiven eternally for our sin? And then there's participating with blatant, unconfessed sin in your life. Something you have never admitted to God as being wrong, nor asked for his forgiveness. Maybe it's even ongoing for you. Someone has brought it to your attention, whether in small group or just someone in your life saying, hey, this is a sin I see in your life. Or, hey, I know you don't think that's a problem, but it is. Here's where it says that in scripture. And you have chosen to ignore that warning and say, I don't think so. It's right for me. So I'm just going to keep doing it. If that's you and you eat and drink the Lord's Supper, you participate in an unworthy manner and you are guilty concerning the body and blood of Jesus. That is a very serious accusation. Lastly, you can participate in an unworthy manner by participating as an unbeliever. Maybe you're here today and you don't really buy all this Jesus stuff uh, someone brought to you or you think maybe there could be a God or something, but you're not sold on the whole, he's the only way to heaven and he actually died for my sins or that I need saving in any way. You don't believe is how we might say it or you might say it. I don't believe in that. If that's you, I... I want you to know that we're glad you're here and that we want to help you in any way we can, not for any other reason than because we were all there. I was there. I didn't believe. I didn't believe that there was a love big enough to love me because I knew who I really was. And I'd go to church and I'd sit in the seat and I'd even sing the songs and listen to the guy talk and when we took communion I'd eat the cracker and drink the juice somehow hoping that I was earning points to tip the scale in my favor if I ever showed up on heaven's doorstep if that was really a thing. I was partaking in an unworthy manner. I didn't understand what his body broken for me was what the new covenant in his blood meant. But you can understand today, you can participate in a worthy manner today, whether there is unforgiveness in your heart that you need to deal with, whether there is unconfessed sin in your life that you need to confess, whether there is a chance in a moment today where you need to accept Jesus Christ dying for your sins and declare him as your savior all of those things are possible. There's nothing hindering you from coming to the table other than yourself. But we have to take it seriously. We cannot approach this table casually in any way. And ultimately, we hope for the final supper, the supper of the lamb, where we're all in heaven and The whole idea of confessing is an afterthought because we are made new in Jesus. But until then, there's some work that we have to do each time we approach the table. So we're going to close our service um, with a time of communion and worship today. It's just an opportunity to really apply this to our lives. So I'm going to pray in a few minutes and then we're going to sing. And you can come anytime in the remainder of the service and take communion. And uh, you got those cards on the way in. We, we uh, spent some time confessing before the Lord today with those. Um, and maybe uh, your application now is this, We've talked about these ways to participate in an unworthy manner is spending a little bit more time with that card. Asking God to really reveal in your heart maybe something you're blind to or getting with someone around you going, hey, what do you see in my life that I don't see and we have this basket up here, and I, just as a symbol, not as a, anything else, just as a symbol of casting those cares, those sins at the feet of the Lord, and knowing that His blood and His body has paid for those, saying, "God, I'm done, I'm done with this. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And maybe today, if you won't, if you're like, yeah, I'm not, I don't believe. I don't think I should take communion. I want to believe. Again, there's nothing hindering the Lord from meeting you in that place. So I'm going, to, I'm going to pray in a minute and you could pray along with me to believe today. And then we'll have some people down front who would love to even talk to you about that and pray with you in that way and it can be more of a discussion in that way but if you choose today that hey you know what this is it this is the moment where i want to be a believer i want to take communion in a worthy manner for the first time i'm just going to ask you to write a little one on your card as you bring it in just it says it again a symbol like lord this is it the first time in a worthy manner here it is i believe and it will just be an awesome declaration to the lord that you are choosing to live for him today So as we close our service, I just I want to give you the freedom to do the business you need to do with the Lord to go and seek out. Maybe there's somebody in this room that you need to offer forgiveness to. What better place to do that than church? Go find them. Run out, get out in the hall, find a classroom, pray with them. Confess in this moment. Spend some time. Lord, what, what do I need to confess to you? and then believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. And let's take communion today in a worthy manner. Let's pray. Lord, help us to remember often the sacrifice you made. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for shedding your blood on our behalf. We believe that you alone are our Lord and Savior. And we ask you to come into our lives and clean out all the guilt and shame that our fleshly desires have stored up. Lord, we choose you above anything else. We choose the sacrifice that you made so that we might have a relationship with you. Help us to live in that freedom. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven us. We come now to the table, a symbol of the altar of the greatest sacrifice, and praise you for how wonderful you are. Amen.